0: Time for another look at the Bet's Blockbuster trade that's in limbo. We'll consider our approach to pitchers just beyond the Big Four, as well as some pitchers who are trying to rebound from 2019,
1: like Duff and Taxes. Dodgers get a Dodger. I have that's not good. had uh,
0: three cold brews yet. Uh, got ahead of me on uh, my, my caffeine question, so
1: glad, glad to know that there's been uh, five, it's a caffeination in your life. I'm just glad three, I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in fifteen on the Athletic Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, February 7th. Al Melkier here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. I thought we were done talking about the Mookie Betts trade and the Jock Peterson trade, but they're both hung up. And it sounds like the sticking point is uh, Dar Gratterall and his, uh, his medicals. And uh, this comes from a report uh, from earlier on, uh, on Wednesday from uh, Ken Rosenthal that uh the Red Sox thought maybe they would try out Grad Raw as a starter, but given the what they saw in the medicals, they're more interested in him in the reliever, and now they just want more.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a funny way to think about it, but a little bit of that could be <laughs> happening here. I mean, obviously there there may be a legitimate issue they can point to if they're willing to kind of put the brakes on this deal and Try to get something else back. You'd have to think if anyone's going to throw more into the trade, it would be the Dodgers rather than the Twins. Since the Twins involvement is kind of a a side involvement with the Kenta Maeda, Brewster, Gratterall swap kind of indirectly happening, of course, between those two teams. So it's pretty interesting. It makes me think that Brewster, Gratterall... Is not going to get that opportunity to stretch out that I thought he might previously get. It makes me a little bit less interested in him from a fantasy perspective, both in 2020, uh, but also in long term situations as well. I mean, I just think having a, a ceiling of a reliever and and not having the ceiling of becoming a number two or number three starter really kind of bumps him down my priority list because closers and waiting are very bad long-term assets to try and stash away and keep her in dynasty leagues. There's so many times closer in waiting just means set up guy forever, and it's totally possible <laughs> that it plays out that way.
0: Well, and I think, too, that it's just not a really valuable type of player to be hanging on to because closers in waiting, yeah, sometimes it's it's somebody like a Gratterall Uh, or maybe like an Andres Munoz in in San Diego with somebody who throws really hard and profiles like they could be a great closer. But sometimes it's just somebody that kind of pops out of nowhere. And I think about the Mariners' bullpen situation from last year going into this year where there's not really a clear candidate there, but there are maybe two or three different relievers in that picture who could be perfectly fine as a closer and could wind up being really valuable. Or for that matter, the Red Sox bullpen, before they made this trade where they tried out several different relievers in, in 2019 and eventually settled on Brandon Workman, who could be fine, I think, if he stays in that role. But who knows? Maybe Ryan Brazier could reemerge, you know, much less if it's it's Gratterall or, or anybody else.
1: Yeah, so my question for you, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to ask you a question. Do uh, you think <laughs> Brandon Workman will keep the job all season? Is he a closer you trust in 2020 in Boston?
0: I, I don't. And I don't know that my reasoning on this is necessarily the most sound because I am prejudiced by what happened in 2019 and with a different manager that's going to be in place in 2020, maybe it'll be a whole different approach to the bullpen. Maybe that manager will look at Workman as the incumbent and look at, I'm going to just go ahead and do this DVR, his body of work and uh, <laughs> it, it decide that, yeah, I know. And just decide that he's, he's fine with rolling with him, but because of all of the back and forth and just the lack of a, of a settled situation there for much of the 2019 season, I just have this this reluctance to really invest much in workman this year
1: yeah I've got him as my 21st rank for uh, 21st rank relief pitcher for this season so he's kind of like a tier three closer if you have to pay more of a price than that I don't think I'll have him anywhere. Uh, So I'm probably out because I think there are people in rooms that generally push him up a little bit higher than I'm willing to take him.
0: Yeah, well, I guess I'm with you on that. And I I do love the skill set, even with the high walk rate. I think he's so good at doing everything else in terms of avoiding contact, managing contact, that he really could be fine. And if he is the closer on opening day, maybe he's just good enough to not give whoever the manager is, uh, a reason to to take him out of the role. But yeah, I'm I'm quite nervous about that whole situation. So is there anything about this trade? Uh, I'm sure we'll be revisiting it again on a podcast near you uh, because this is going to be finalized at some point. But I'm going to assume that the players that are involved now are going to remain in it, and maybe it's just additions. But is there anything right now other than with Gratterall that – changes your your thinking about the players involved?
1: No, I mean, I'm pretty excited about David Price going to Los Angeles, as we talked about when we first learned of this possible trade. So as long as that holds up, I think he's definitely up on my boards this year. Uh, Alex Verdugo's playing time was a a main takeaway for me. So I think as long as he ends up in a situation where he's not going to be platooned, he's more valuable, even with a downgrade in his home park. And and Mookie Betts is going to be Mookie Betts. So not much has changed for me. Hopefully, the deal doesn't get reversed or undone or completely nixed. It doesn't seem like it's going to go down that road.
0: All right. Well, speaking of David Price, and I've got a selfish reason to ask you this DVR because uh, my next draft draft uh, piece that I'm doing for The Athletic is on David Price. So I'm curious where you would rank him now among starting pitchers because his ADP, I believe, on NFBC is 57.
1: Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's going to go up because everyone likes pitchers pitching for the Dodgers. So... I'm Mm -hmm. comfortable with him as probably a top 40 pitcher with ease and maybe even a top 35 position. So if he were to jump into the pick 125 range, I don't think that would be an impossible spot for him to return some profit this year. That would rank him probably alongside of someone like Lance Lynn, who's 33rd on my list right now. Mm -hmm. Frankie Montes is in that range. Uh, Hinjin Ryu is sitting right in there as well. I mean, as great as Ryu was last year, Al, I don't expect him to come back and uh, replicate what he was able to do in 2019 with the move into the AL East. So I think David Price moves inside my top 40 and probably into that 125 range ADP wise between now and opening day.
0: All right. Well, we're thinking along the same lines. And that's a huge jump if ADP follows that because right now, overall, he's right around 190, I believe. So that's uh, that could be a huge move movement for him. Absolutely. Well, you know, on the uh, Wednesday show DVR, Michael Beller and I talked about the labor mixed draft. And unfortunately, you know, we got so involved with the Paxton injury in particular that we didn't really leave ourselves en- um, enough time. So we're going to do labor analysis 2.0 here, which is good because now I get to hear your take on things. And I- I'd like to start with the th- one thing that Michael and I actually did get to discuss, but we didn't really get to break it down much again because of time. It's what happens on a 15 minute show, I guess. But uh, Alex Bregman went ahead of Nolan Arenado in the first round. And Michael and I were both very surprised with that, uh, also, sort of, disagreed with that as an outcome. So, what's your feeling about Bregman versus Arenado?
1: I do have Bregman exactly one spot ahead of Arenado, but I see it probably similar to the way you and Beller do, where it looks dead even or or like a coin flip. And if you argued Arenado over Bregman, I would understand why. I mean, with Alex Bregman and the sign-stealing scandal, we have all sorts of questions about just how much help the Astros were getting from that and how that's going to impact them going forward, Uh, the added weight or added pressure of probably being booed, Everywhere they go, I mean, that's just not good for the psyche. Uh, They are the league's heels right now. Uh, So you could look at those two guys and say, Arenado over Bregman is the way you want to go. You think the floor is higher because of the home park. I would totally understand that. I think for me, what separates those two players is that even if Bregman's home runs come down quite a bit, he's still going to score a ton of runs. He's going to drive in a ton of runs. I think he steals some bases. Arenado doesn't. I think that's one key area that kind of broke the tie for me as I was putting my rankings together.
0: All right. Well, and then something we started to discuss on Wednesday, but again, didn't really have time to break down was the selection of Walker Bueller, 17th overall, second pick in the second round by uh, Scott Pionowski. And not too surprisingly, that made him the fifth starting pitcher taken overall. I know that that's the consensus view. I personally have Jack Flaherty as my number five. I know everybody's pretty much in agreement about one through four, if not the exact order, at least the uh, composition of the big four. But Scott was in an interesting spot there because it's a 15-team draft. He had the second pick in the second round. So he had a long, long wait to pick again. And you've got, in my mind, a very big bunchy cluster of a second tier among starting pitchers. I'm not sure what I would do in that spot. It, to me, it would feel early to take either Flaherty or Bueller, but you could miss out on that whole second tier potentially when you come back around at the end of the third round. So I guess it's a two parter for you, DVR, which is first of all, if you were going to take a p- pitcher there after the big four comes off, would it be Bueller? And would you pull the trigger? on a pitcher in that draft position.
1: I would take Mueller as the fifth pitcher off the board. That's where I have him ranked. Uh, I'm comfortable taking him early in round two, where I think I may have differed is if I had Arenado coming out of the first round, a first rounder who doesn't steal a lot of bases, I may have been tempted to take someone, you know, like a Jose Ramirez or Fernando Tatis Jr. A second hitter in the second round who gives me 20, 25, maybe even 30 steals. And really helps with that categorical balance because I think the further you go down the board, the less reliable your sources of stolen bases are going to become. Mm-hmm. And the gap between Walker Bueller and some of the pitchers who were going around the 3 4 turn, uh, Patrick Corbin in this particular draft, Clayton Kershaw, Luis Castillo, it's not a big enough gap for me to want to have to chase steals later. You know, I, I like Bueller, but I don't think there's that much of a leg up. So PL ended up with Whit Merrifield in the third round basically executed the same strategy just flipping (laughs) pitcher and hitter in this case I'm just not really into Whit Merrifield this year even though I like Bueller, I'm not necessarily sure I would have done the exact same thing mostly because my first round pick in that case doesn't steal bases
0: yeah no it's a tough call and I have to say that given the gamble that he took there coming up with Whit Merrifield and and satisfying those steals and batting average and and maybe a little bit of of home run power um, that's you know Not a bad way to come out of that at all. Is there any fallback pitcher, such as you could talk about a fallback in the third round, anybody you'd be targeting if you're just crossing your fingers and taking a a power speed source at that 17th pick? Is there anybody you're hoping is still there at the end of the third round to, to head your rotation?
1: Yeah, the guy that's there most often, who I really like, is Chris Paddock. And I think he's getting discounted even further. He went in the early part of round five of this draft. Getting discounted even further than that 3-4 turn, mostly because of concerns about his inning ceiling. It's probably 175 to 180 innings. There aren't that many pitchers who throw more than that, except for the fact that there are pitchers who have higher ceilings, who can get you more. And I think that's a pretty big limiting factor for people. Also relies pretty much on two pitches, so that's an issue for some people as well. Um, so, I'm looking for Paddock at that 3 4 turn as a guy that's definitely going to be there who I'm comfortable with. If you're really lucky, maybe you get Chris Sale. He went a couple picks before uh, PL had that crack at, in the third round at Merrifield. Um, so, you know, he's not necessarily a guarantee to be there, but that's kind of the dream scenario. If Chris Sale falls all the way down to the late part of round three, he could be your ace. He could give you first round value two rounds later.
0: All right. Well, uh, I I do want to get to uh, our featured read very quickly here, but uh, any particular picks that you really liked or dislike that you want to call out?
1: Uh, Julio Urias in the 13th round, Jeff Erickson, I mean, with all the shuffling happening in the Dodgers rotation, and I know we're talking about pitchers with workload concerns, I'm much more willing to take on those pitchers in the middle rounds of the draft. I think that's a really nice price for a guy that could give Jeff outstanding ratios over the course of the season and close to a strikeout per inning. I think this is going to be the year we finally get that breakout from Julio Urias over a high volume.
0: All right. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, staying on the topic of pitchers here, uh, our pitching guru at The Athletic, uh, Eno Saris, he's got another fantastic piece that y'all should check out. Five bounce back pitcher candidates to watch this season. And Eno specifically focuses on Luis Severino, Corey Kluber, Garrett Richards, Chris Archer, and Johnny Cueto. And, you know, I read through that. I was really sort of surprised with the Mild optimism he has about Chris Archer, but I really went in there looking to you know find a reason to be hopeful for any of them. So does any one of that quintet stand out to you, DVR, as somebody that's worth taking the risk on?
1: Yeah, I love Corey Kluber, where he's going in drafts. I think he's in the 85 to 100 range in terms of his NFBC ADP and kind of like min-max where he's usually going to go. We're talking about a guy who's really just one year removed from being elite. Corey Kluber had back to back seasons with a sub three ERA and a sub one whip in 2017 and 2018. We know the move into Texas could be a tough one, but at the same time, most likely that ballpark in Arlington is going to be more pitcher friendly now than it was before it had a roof. You know, climate control is going to go a long way towards changing some of those hot summer days in Arlington where the ball used to fly in that park. So, I love Corey Kluber in the labor draft. He was a ninth round pick to Joe Pisapia. I thought that was one of the better value picks of the early rounds, especially on the pitching side. I think the K's are still going to be there. And the ratios, even if they're not back to that 2017, 2018 level, I think are going to be much better than the projections. Projections have him in the 420 range for the ERA and the 120 range for the whip. I think he's under both. I think he's in the mid threes for ERA and probably in the 115 to 118 range with the whip this season.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Seems like the pessimism has turned up a, a little bit too high on Kluber. Uh, Severino, i got to say, is really scaring me with the current ADP that he's got. But uh, yeah, Kluber, I like the price there. And uh, on that note, DVR, we're going to wrap things up here on Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com baseballin baseball in 15, and everything that we do is included with your subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, and we will be back with you on Monday.